CinemaSins has a fan club. It's called the Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. So the starting point was casting Jason Sudeikis. He was just before he went on to do Ted Lasso. Great timing by me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you totally knew that was going to happen. Yeah, right? that's right. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinemasins joined by barrett share hello and jonathan watkins hello hello and today we have a very special guest it's director and co-writer of a movie called south of heaven aaron kashalis aaron welcome hello thank you for having me yeah absolutely we love talking to uh, filmmakers uh and everything this movie comes out in theaters vod and digital on october 8th um it's a very unusual movie by the way and you you know this i mean you 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 made it um uh but what's funny what's great to me about this is you made a movie where there's almost every action has a consequence and there and they don't have to necessarily be linear consequences if you're just following along in the movie and everything. So what was the creative process like when you were writing this uh, with your co-writers? It started off weird enough uh, with my honeymoon. Uh, I got married at a very, very late age of 37. She was 39. She was a fantasy of mine. She was a, a news anchor lady. I was obsessed with her since I was 18, but I never oh, had wow. to do anything with it until I premiered my movie, Big Bad Wolves. And uh, uh, you know, invited her to watch my new movie just as a VIP. And, and then I started, you know, uh, you know, would you like to have some coffee? And then uh, we got, you know, we got engaged. And then, you know, when you are engaged and you're, you're in love in a very, very late age and, and you go on a honeymoon, you try to compensate for 20 years of not being there with her and not ah, yeah. wanted to be, you know, I, I couldn't be with her when she was 20 and 25 and 30 and she couldn't be with me. So you try to squeeze all those great experiences into what came to be half a year of a honeymoon around the world. Right. I, <laughs> oh, wow. So during that honeymoon, I came with an idea of making a movie about a guy who went to prison for a long time and robbed his wife of their, you know, his fiance of the, their happiness and now when he can he want he, when he gets out he wants to give her that you know 12 years back but he only has one year to give it to her because she is dying so that was like the main idea i came up with during my honeymoon and it it was supposed to uh, end with the car accident you know the turning point was supposed to be a car accident that ruins mm -hmm. everything you want to give her so because I cannot think only about optimistic things, you know. Even in my honeymoon, I'm thinking <laughs> about death. That's the way. That's the way I'm programmed. Like, I, you know, that's why I did the first Israeli horror film and then the second Israeli horror film because I, I, I'm obsessed with death, I guess. So even in my honeymoon, I was like going dark 
but then when when I came back to you know to Israel after my long honeymoon, I sat with my co-writers, and then we, we you know we we tried to think about you know what would be the car accident, what would it involve, and then you know it's like this crazy writers' room that one guy says, yeah, well maybe he hits the biker, and the biker is like a guy who works for a kingpin, right, and mm-hmm. that takes the movie into a new direction and what if the kingpin is a kid and now he needs to do you know he needs to kidnap the kid like so you try you, you just try to put everything on a wall right everything that could go wrong that's sure. I, I'm, I'm a big believer that everything that can go wrong will go wrong especially in movies because it makes for you know more uh, fun cinema so we just you know played with everything and until we we said well that's too much we cannot go further than that without losing the, the the you know the spectators the audience that will be a little bit over the top so it would you needed to come into a place where you go crazy you go batch it crazies at time but mm-hmm. try to you know be within something that people will not lose the emotional anchor and that was the most important for, thing for me to do to Uh, because it is a movie you know it, it is a romantic movie uh, yeah that goes terribly wrong yeah um, it, it's it's like almost anything can happen in this where how did you have a bunch of ideas that you just didn't use like did, did you go that far where you had like a you know I'd like to go it go in this direction and then you just ran into a wall or or something or did or was it or would or did you guys come up with uh all the ideas that and they all ended up in the movie most of the ideas came to be in the movie some of the ideas became more you know dangerous or more brutal like uh let's say we started off with an accident uh, i thought that during his time in prison his eyesight goes a little bit off right so he he mm-hmm. goes to the to the to the doctor who checks his eyes and they put th- this kind shit in your eyes right and then he comes <laughs> very well and when he goes out and he is just riding his car he just killed an innocent man it wasn't supposed to be related to another you know plot in the movie, <laughs> right right we had the we we have the parole officer but then I, i i talked about it with my co-writers that i always wanted to do like the opposite psycho movie where you know jennifer dies at the midpoint of the movie so i want to mm-hmm. do something like that i, I don't want to give a spoiler here but i want to do something like that only with you know villains like you, you could change a villain you could do something oh, yeah. there and then we came up with the idea that you know maybe the biker isn't just an innocent bystander let's get the let's get that biker to be related to another entity in the movie that will be uh the second you know villain of the movie Uh, and that will be a big 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 surprise for everybody who's gonna see it so this is this is an example where we thought about something but then we got more brutal usually that's the way we think like we <laughs> you know, is it brutal enough is it painful enough is it crazy <laughs> it's like you uh, are killing me Aaron. this is so much fun this is exactly if if I were to draw a sketch of a person that directed this bonkers movie it would be you I really appreciate that you, <laughs> that you are a reality <laughs> thank you it's like you we have babushkas it's like the dolls that you that they're dolls within dolls within a doll you know that um, so that's how we we like to write movies like wh- what will be the craziest doll that you could pull up out of the, the other doll right uh, so that's that, that's the process usually 
Like in Big Bad Blues, you start with a crazy father, but then you learn that he has a, a crazier grandfather who used to torture people during the military, yep. his yep. military service, so he could do a better job than his kid. <laughs> no, I, I've seen Big Bad Wolves. I, I think this I think this conversation is surprising me less than it is Barry Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you you mentioned the uh, the romance in here, and it's an it, it's a it's an unusual romance as well. I mean, this is uh, it it it's funny to me. Uh, Evangeline Lilly, uh, towards you know somewhere like two thirds through the movie, tries to explain it. Uh, like oh, there's this uh, there was this pact of some sort or whatever, but it 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 feels like sort of an excuse because she, even she realizes how uh, insane the love between her and Jason Sudeikis's character in this is and everything. Um, but how do you make that relationship believable? Because this is you know this, she has been waiting twelve years and they've known each other for so long. For me, you know, I'm this guy. I'm, that's the other side of me. Like I'm a total a uh, romantic guy at the same time i'm very mm -hmm. cynical and very brutal <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i have those two like you know she says about herself that she's bipolar because she's dying i think i'm bipolar without dying uh mm -hmm. so I, have yeah. those, I have those two uh poles in my um you know personality where i could love to death really when i give love it's like all the way no so what when i write about romance I just feel you you need to tap into that in the most pure way. And because I made this movie especially for my wife, I wanted to make a movie that, you know, it's 100% um, love. And I thought that, you know, by making them so uh, united together and the fact that it's a, such a crazy, almost, you know, unbelievable love story, everything that will happen in, in, the, in the middle of the movie will be uh, of greater uh, impact because you, you just don't want them to fail and you just want them to be together. As for, you know, convincing the audience, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that if you, if you have like a good scene in a movie uh, that takes you out of the genre, you could go away almost with everything. And I learned that from the great Sam Peckinpah because... Mm -hmm. because Sam Sam Peckinpah, you know, when he did his, I call it broken films, the the ones that didn't go well at the box office, like yeah. Pat Garrett or Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. So you could see that even in those brutal films, he has those moments where he gives you something so real in romance that, you know, if I would tell you that in the middle of Alfredo Garcia, Alfredo Garcia, uh, uh, the, the hero, Billy, sits down, the protagonist sits down by a tree with a girl he once loved, but he never proposed to her. And the entire scene is about, why didn't you propose to me? And he's like, you're right, I never proposed to you. I should propose to you. And then he proposes to her in the same scene. Then minutes later, there's that Chris Christopherson brutal scene, mm -hmm. and it's seconds later. But what he does in a film like that, and almost in every good Sam Peckinpah movie, is that something real and honest happens. And I'm a true believer that if you make those moments in a movie and if you look for them in genre movies, they will allow you or help you convey something that is almost totally unbelievable if I told you that, you know, just in the streets. Like if we talk about, you know, Parrot, Garrett and Billy the Kid, 
Slim Pickens is getting shot in the gut, but then he has that beautiful romantic moment by the river looking at his Mexican wife, and Peckinpah shows it for like a minute. He looks at her, she looks at him, it's muted. It's one of the most beautiful romantic death scenes ever to be filmed. Mm. But you see mm-hmm. it, and it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you obviously have uh, some uh, extremely likable actors in here. Jason Sudeikis is our lead, Evangeline Lilly, Shea Wiggum, Mike Coulter, and you even have Michael Pere in this too. Uh, uh, tell me how you cast this, who you were, you know, what you were looking for, uh, and what it was like to work with these people. So the starting point was casting Jason Sudeikis. He was just before he went on to do Ted Lasso, great timing by me. Yeah, absolutely. You totally knew that was going to happen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, of course. I knew everything. I knew, of course. (laughs) I didn't even know he, he, he wrote something back then because it was very secretive. Uh, so, you know, I like to work with comedians against typecast. I did it in Big Bad Wolves with some of the best comedians. The grandfather is like our John Cleese, uh, was our John Cleese. So when, when, I, when I come to cast, I, I usually like to look for a little bit of surprise because it gives you some kind of edge to the, the character. And uh, Jimmy Ray on the paper is, you know, is a, is a broken man. He, he isn't really a tough guy. I didn't want him to be like, you know, what, when you cast pe- uh, movies like that, the, the first names that you will be offered, of course, are the big, you know, action heroes like Jerry Butler and Jason Statham, Keanu Reeves of the world, which, you know, you could, you could enjoy those films. But I felt that this is a more romantic movie. It needs mm-hmm. somebody that has a little bit more uh, down-to-earth kind of feeling, a working-class hero, and somebody that has the the most uh, the biggest puppy eyes you could ever imagine. So when <laughs> bad things will happen to him, you're just gonna feel so bad about it. And yeah. Then, and then I started watching uh, a lot of movies with Jason Sudeikis, and I caught something in his performances that he has. Uh, you know, in his in his best role, he has this kind of honesty to him. Uh, and in his in his weird movies like Colossal, which I really like, love Colossal, yeah. Mm-hmm. He shows a side that you never seen, and no, not a lot of people talk about his performance in Colossal. But it's one one hell of a, of a performance and one hell of a movie. So I saw darkness to him, and then I said, he has crazy eyes. Nobody talks about Jason Sudeikis' crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, yep. when he gets mad. You know, when his eyes are like burning, yeah, it's like you know, it's 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 the shining time here. So, <laughs> so I, I saw both sides of him while watching his tapes, and I was like, I need to, you know, we need to try uh, and and you know do this with him. And he was like, I think at the same time he was looking for uh, projects that will uh, get him out of his, I think, comfort zone as a comedian, and he was looking. Yeah something you know darker more dramatic and and i and i guess that was a match made in heaven because i was looking for you know him and he was looking at the same time for scripts like that and you know he he wanted to meet with us great meeting and it started with him and then you need to match of course the actress and you know evangeline lily is always like uh, great in everything she does. She has always great chemistry with her co-stars, if it's Paul Rudd or, you know, the guys who played the, her lovers on, on Lost, everything. Yeah. 
So we just, you know, hook them up <laughs> like a, a Jewish uh, dating uh, show. A <laughs> 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 Jewish grandmother looking for like good matches. Uh, so yeah, so it happened, and 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 they were so great. Uh, even before we started shooting, they started texting each other, meeting each other, flirting as actors do. They're flirting in order to get to make sure it's going to work on screen. And, and, and then we just know. But the, the wonderful thing about working with this a, a set of actors is that they all came with a very uh, 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 precise notion of how they want to play their roles and even enhance the story and help the script with their notes and their attitudes towards those characters. Like Jason wanted to play Jimmy as a broken man not only like I remember the first scene when he comes out, the second scene when he comes out of prison, he was like, "I don't want to play it like it's, he's happy," and you know, it's like, "Ooh, there's my lover," and hug it, <laughs> let's hug, and it's all cheesy. And no, I want to be broken about it because I'm happy to see her, but I'm I know she dies, and I know that I robbed her of her best year of her life. So he said, "I'm gonna play the entire comedy beats event during this film." As it as if I am not in on the joke because I don't want it to be with a wink in the eye all the time. So it's like everybody knows I'm on the joke and it's become this comedy again. I'm gonna be really invested in this character, uh, almost methoding Jimmy Ray, just mm-hmm. so people feel the the you know the heaviness of 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 my character of anything that I've lost during these years. And then when the comedy happens, and I like to direct comedy like that too, is is above the character's head. They're not in on the joke. The, you know, the, the audience might laugh of the situations and how crazy it is, but he's never on the joke. And Evangeline came with the idea to to take that I'm bipolar uh, sentence during the their Beach Boys be, uh, scene on the bench <laughs> and, 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 and enlarge it to the entire... And, and make it for her character like she's bipolar. She could laugh, she could cry, she's tough, yet she's fragile. So it won't be like this, you know, uh, damsel in distress that you yeah. see in most movies. Like she, she, could, she could hold her own against Price. She could hold her own against Schmidt. She could hold her own in any situation. She could say, Jimmy, stop it. You know, and she's not taking shit from anybody so right. that that was great you know output from her because when you are a writer and a male writer you need that output when you make action movies because otherwise you know you just do the same mistakes and 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 she wanted me to you know bring something more uh, profound to her character and i think that's why there's like this great chemistry between them and that's why maybe uh, you want him to, you know, be okay at the end of the movie and not just, you know, the way it is. Yeah, I uh, I really love that Beach Boys scene because it shows that she's got a sense of humor about how everything's going and and I like his reaction because he doesn't he doesn't really quite get it, you know, quote unquote. You know, she he doesn't doesn't like the the idea of this being her funeral song and everything. God only knows. It's so, it's like, it, it, it reminded me of when in To Die For, Nicole Kidman plays all by myself uh, <laughs> at the at the funeral and everything. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very dark humor moment. I loved it. So, 
um, uh, uh, getting back into the casting, you have Shea Wiggum and Mike Coulter, and uh, and uh, these guys are awesome as well. They're the, the they're the movie's villains. T- tell me what it's like to work with them as well. <laughs> well, Shea Wiggum, probably one of the best character actors working today in the U.S. Yeah. in my in my in my opinion. And you know, when you write a movie. Uh, a very, you know, I knew it was going to be like a, the modest of modest budgets and, you know, 25 days of shoot, very strict budget. And I was like, you know, who can we... I, I dreamt about casting Shea Wigan when I wrote the character, but I, I had no idea I would be able to get him. Not, not, also, you know, Jason and Evangeline, of course. But when you go into those characters, I said, well, it is it, not for the whole movie. And, and I hope he will be, you know... Uh, fall in love with the script or the character and it just comes along and and it did happen like he read the script he said it's a great character and i want to do it now working with shay is is the greatest experience of all because he's like that it is he's, i'm calling him 50 shades of shay no. <laughs> 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 like 50 shades to each line you ask him to read that's how yeah. he is he's like he will not let go of a line until he nails it, nails it, nails it. Because he's scared, especially with acting or portraying characters like Schmidt, that you you know push it a little bit too far into the place that it's overacting or it's like yeah. a picture and it's a nobody will believe this character exists. So he's but he but also but at the same time he wants it to be funny, larger mm-hmm. than life and great right so he needs to tap into that moment where that line becomes this crystal clear that he nailed the you know the laughs he nails the the craziness the queerness of the character but it's not over the top so that's 50 shades of <laughs> of shade to you like it was <laughs> amazing to watch him you know t- tuning him tuning himself for like sometimes you know like 10 minutes until you get that line the way it's perfectly nailed uh at the end of the movie and, and it's it was a great experience i learned a lot from him about acting i think it, it, it's something to behold and he's the best friend a director could have he's like the the biggest fan of the movie more than the director is shay wiggum he will call you every day to say how great he feels about the movie he will <laughs> months and months after you know production is, is finished to make sure you're safe, you're good, you're you're loving whatever you have, and that you know that you are you know you made a great film. That's how he is, uh, you know. Every month, still a telephone call from the guy. He's such a sweetheart. That's Michael awesome. Ter, yeah, Michael Ter is like. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how women uh, react in uh, the U.S. to Michael Tier when he. I don't. I mean, I don't know how women react, but I know how I react when I see Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so, bad, right? so, so in, Israel, in Israel, he's one of the biggest sex symbols I think there is. It's like when I when I told people I'm casting him to South of Bell, and they were like, "What?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I want to tap when when I wrote Price. So Price on Page uh, could have been this, you know, over-the-top, uh, exaggerated villain that you see in so, oh, so many, you know, Southern noirs, where you just mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, this is, like, you know, too much. 
So <laughs> I, that's on page, right? So uh, I, I, I thought that in order to make sure that it's not going to be over the top, I should get an, a, an actor that conveys so much fear and commands the, the scene and the stage so good, even when it's quiet. So when he reads the lines, and that's how we worked on it, he doesn't go over the top. He doesn't yell except for one crazy time. But right. he's just, he's just, you know, delivering the words as almost he's like, a, you know, uh, whispering them. And that's enough. And working with him was great because he's, and it's true about every good actor, they know more than the writer what their character needs because when you write you write like all sorts of characters so you mm-hmm. know you know you, you do you know you wear too many hats as a cook but yeah. but they you know they they concentrate on their voyage on their uh journey throughout your movie and i remember that michael ter told me that as a father he would believe this son when he says he's in an accident and i told him Mike, but your kid is a liar. He's like, cry wolf all day. You're not supposed to, you know, you're bound to say, come on, man, you look good. Nothing happened to you. And mm-hmm. he said, I still think we need something to end the journey with. And that's how the whole monologue scene just before Jimmy comes to his that's house. So was great. It's so mm-hmm. great. It was born mm-hmm. out of his reaction to the script and his need to end this journey and give it a payoff. So I just ran back to my room during pre-production, wrote that monologue, came back to Michael Ter the next day and I told him, this is the monologue. This is what you're going to do. This is a new scene for you. And he was like, Aaron, the journey ended for me. I thank you so much. And, you know, now it's one of my <laughs> most beloved scenes in, in the movie. That's what- amazing. You just, <laughs> you you essentially... Because of that feedback, what a collaboration. Because of that feedback, you were able to to bang that out. And it's such an impactful scene and such a great story within the story, too, of of why he wouldn't believe the the kid. That that's incredible that that A, he was you guys were able to collaborate so well, but B, that you were able to just kind of on the spot come up with that that amazing story uh to f- flesh out that character arc you have to look i you have to listen to your actors especially if they're intelligent and and really want to help you better your your scripts when you have the time in pre-production or even in previous conversation because they know i really think that they know better when they concentrate on their characters what will be uh, their motivations and how they should approach everything. They ask you a lot of questions. They have a lot of suggestions, just like you have. Some are good, some are bad, but, you know, they know and they have a great uh, instinct. So, you know, for me as a writer, I always listen to the actors, always. Like, you don't have to get, uh, agree on everything, but even in Big Bad Wolves, I had the one scene, one great scene was born that in, in South of Heaven, even the, the, the scene... In the beginning where they're going into the bedroom and you have that bathroom scene where he looks at his tummy and and she yeah. looks at herself in the mirror and then there's the, this, their timid first you know intercourse in, in, <laughs> in so that was born out of evangeline lily uh giving me a harsh criticism about a previous scene that was supposed to take place in in, in a bathroom in, in a in a bath where it's it was really cheesy it was like, damn, he's in the bath, he's pulling her in this bath, and it's like, well, you know, they drink the beer, and la ha ha. Right. 
<laughs> like really cheesy, corny, shitty scene. I, I acknowledge that. So, so, <laughs> she, so she said, look, Aaron, you know, you just asked me to watch The Getaway by Sam Peckinpah the other day. I want something <laughs> as honest as Ellie McGraw and Steve McQueen had in that film when he comes back of of uh, when he comes out of prison. I told yeah. him, well, Evangeline, your wish is my command. I ran into my, you know, writing room <laughs> and, and I just wrote those scenes w- where everything is just muted and you could feel, you know, that they're timid, they're, there's, you know, uh, there's, it's awkward. He's shy about himself. There's like this con- consciousness that there things have changed during those 12 years and it's not going to be like, you know, hey, let's go to bed. And yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if you would like to go to bed. You know, I have this big stomach now, and they they, they are uh, they're worried that they're not attractive to each other anymore. It's uh, it's a very refreshing, honest scene before that. Uh, you know, before they decide, all right, let's let's uh, try to you know make the bedroom stuff happen again. You know, it's a. Uh, uh, it's uh, it is a very nice scene. I'm glad that uh, she was able to talk you out of the thing that you wrote originally. Uh, me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, uh, I, I tell you, there are a couple of uh, real uh, film nerdy moments in this uh, in this movie. Uh, you open up the movie with a static one shot on Jason Sudeikis as he goes through this whole speech uh, that he has been rehearsing in his head to the parole board. Uh, It's funny. uh, I got the, I got the sense that the, the speech that he was rehearsing that he was claiming not to say to the parole board was the speech that he was giving to the parole board during this whole thing. Uh, but uh, what is it like making a scene like that? How many takes did it uh, require for you to to get that scene done? I think uh, we did uh, because it was like twenty five days of shoot. I think we did like between five to six takes. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, no. Which is not a lot, Jason. Like I, I think what brings it honesty is when you tell an actor he has to. to you know, to deliver a monologue in one take, no mistakes are allowed. Uh, it, it brings the, you know, vulnerability to their performance and it brings some hesitation, like natural hesitation and, and fear that they might, you know, screw up the, the, the monologue, right? Screw up the take. So what happens is ma- is like real magic because then if you think he's maybe it's the same, you know, uh, speech he worked on in his cell, it's mm-hmm. because you know Jason Sudeikis has worked with it, has worked on it as a actor working on a spontaneous speech that is not really spontaneous, <laughs> right? So, so it's like that creates magic for me. You know, that's what while I look when when I look for you know performances, I'm thinking about what could create the same situation for the actor that it could deliver the best moment for the opening scene as a guy who just needs to bring uh you know uh improvised speech to the parole committee and when i saw him like there's a couple of great stutters at the beginning it yeah. feels like he's like you know he's, he's it's like a car right it's you're starting a car and, and it's it, it's it, it builds up like he, he needs to feel his rhythm and tempo during that speech himself like he tries he stutters he doesn't really you know 
make it uh, smooth, but then it becomes smoother and smoother and smoother. And by the end of it, when you see that he sh- she's asking him a follow-up question, he knows he, he nailed it. So he's like, yeah. I have the confidence now to bring it home and, and win the show. So I think that that helped, that creating that one shot helped uh, the scene to be as spontaneous and, and rehearsed at the same time. And feel feel like something that you could say. Maybe he did it. Like for me, I don't have the answer. He might have just, you know, I would. I wanted that scene to end with his smiling because I wanted the the actors to think, the the audience to think, is he shitting them? Is he just pulling the leg? <laughs> yeah. You know, is is, is 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 it like something he really didn't? You know, did he rehearse it? Did he even? Does this woman really? Uh, is this woman really dying? So I wanted all these questions, right. an opening scene to be there. And I think that when you don't show the reactions of the parole committee, which is a very bold move, uh, especially mm-hmm. when you show this cut to, uh, you know, to your producers. And, but, but then something happens. You just need, you are standing in there, you're sitting in, in the parole committee as an audience, and you have to decide, is Jimmy bluffing you? Is he worthy yeah. of your, you know, uh, you know, mercy. And then you get the answer, right? You, you hear the, the gate opens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I particularly like that and exactly how, what, how you described the, the effectiveness of it is, uh, is what I brought out of that. It was, uh, if you cut through that scene, it just doesn't, I don't think it has the same, uh, it, it doesn't have the same impact. Um, you have another one shot in this movie uh, that we don't need to spoil what happens during it, but tell me what it was like uh, creating that shot towards uh, towards the end of the movie. Um, uh, you know, was that, uh, how difficult was that to, to stage? Uh, it was quite difficult uh, to stage. And again, this is something that happened during pre-production because, um, you know, when, when, when you co-write, sometimes your co-writers um, think of action scenes that are much bigger than the movie that you had in mind. So yeah. the original uh, scene that you're talking about was supposed to be like this almost John Wick kind of <laughs> right where he bashes the, the gate with a, with a car, get out of it. <laughs> Take a, take a, you know, take the, the the guard by his neck and using him as a shield towards another. Like you know, <laughs> Jason Sudeikis doing a, a, a Keanu Reeves moves for like five to ten minutes. <laughs> that was this, like in the original script. But then you know, one you know, once I cast the movie and saw the way the entire scene works. And saw that you know I have 25 days of shoot, and saw that I, I rewrote the monologue for Price. I said, wouldn't it be interesting, more interesting, to sh- to do a movie where the last shootout will be through the point of view of the villain, as if oh. turning the tables and you know changing the protagonist. Because I always believe that the best writing, uh, uh, you know. Um, the best writing advice I could give to writers is always write your uh, villain as a guy that always got always write the villain as the guy who has a hero as a villain in his life, right? Because that's how he sees it, right? Hans, yeah. Gruber, Hans Gruber in Die Hard 
is a good guy who worked a long time on a brilliant plan to rob money, right? And then comes this shitty John McClane officer. He <laughs> <laughs> really fucks everything up. <laughs> the guy worked for a year probably for that screw going to get, you know, all the design, you know, all the pro- plans for uh, floor plans, <laughs> the, the right date, everything up to the last <laughs> detail. And then, you know, and, and John McClane cries, I got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. No, no, no. Hans Gruber <laughs> is the real victim of Die Hard. <laughs> You know, so, <laughs> that's why I write movies, and that's what I wanted to do with South of Evans. Like, you know, you change the point of view at the end of the movie, that, but that was only in script. But then I thought, I thought I could do it also visually. I could make a case for making the monologue, and then instead of going into the mansion with, you know, Jimmy Ray, I will do it through the point of view of the villain. Now he's having a, a home invasion movie, right? And I decided to shoot it as a home invasion horror film because it's always the Palma with the stage. Yeah, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. much so. It's not like, I, you know, it's not no cuts. It's one take. So I, I said, let's make a horror film out of the best moment this hero is going to have in the movie, but nobody's going to clap their hands. Nobody's going to want to have that shootout at the end. And no, the, nobody will clap at the end result. It will be like a frightening moment. So I designed uh, very meticulously with Matt Mitchell RDP a plan to make Jimmy not a protagonist in his own, you know, uh, vendetta against Price. And how you do that? You just make the camera lose him and find him, lose him and find him. So he's not the major point of view of that shootout. He's not the guy who runs you through everything in the in the house. Sometimes, you know, you stay outside and you and you go with the henchman and enters the house with him, not with Jimmy. And that's how I feel that you can break a, a perspective, a point of view, and create a horror uh, show out of uh, you know a mundane action scene that you saw so, so many times in your life. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Um, guys, we're I guess we're up against the uh, time here. Do you have any other questions, Barrett, Jonathan? I just have one practical question. Is that Jason's real hair? <laughs> yeah. No, it yeah. can't be. No. Yeah. That, that hair is luxurious. It's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be real. It's real and it has a life of its own. I, I assure you, I saw it every day on set and was like amazed of how great it looks. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. It's, it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's my contribution, by the way. I, I, yeah. I, this movie is so fascinating, uh, Aaron. I really appreciate you. It reminded me very much. <clears throat> Chris mentioned uh, to die for earlier. I was thinking about Lone Star. I was thinking about like these mid to late nine U-turn even like these mid to late nineties, uh, just thriller action movies that don't seem to be made very often anymore. And this seems like it's, it's kind of an elevated version of that. I thought it was, it was fantastically, uh, bonkers and lovely. And I appreciated you making it. Thank you so much for saying such great words and, 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 you know, talking about these movies because, I do miss those 90 movies. I think Hollywood was crazier, ballsier, uh, better when they allowed for, you know, narratives like that to happen in the mainstream. You know, I did it for like $3 million 
back then you could do these movies for like 20 even and Warner Brothers will be behind directors that will bring them crazy you know tales Texas tales to the table and I miss those movies and I think I one, you know, I did it for my wife. The second reason was I wanted to go back in time and, you know, make a movie like Blood Simple, make a movie like, you know, like you said, Lone Star, make a movie mm-hmm. like Red Rock West. You, you yeah. need, it's so much fun. It's, it's so, it's surprising and it's always bonkers. And, you know, I wish there, were, there was more freedom to make more films like this in Hollywood. Yeah. You're speaking Absolutely. our language. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'd like to thank Aaron for uh, giving us his time uh, today. The movie is South of Heaven. Uh, it comes out in theaters, VOD and digital on October 8th. Uh, thanks so much to, for, for talking with us today, Aaron. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Real yeah, fun. Ab- thank you. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this interview. It's Chris Atkins and Barrett Sher and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.